Have you ever wondered what happened to your favorite characters after the story ends? Author Stephen Chbosky helps us catch up with Charlie, the iconic central character of Perks of Being a Wallflower, 20 years later. And while I fangirl over my friend a bit, find out who Steve would love to meet. Stay tuned for part two. For Moxie, the mini sewed, and we are here with author and filmmaker Stephen Chbosky, who's a dear friend of mine from childhood. And uh, he's going to give us a little nugget about the update on the perks of being a wallflower. And I asked guys, I tried to get him to read the afterword to the book. He can't read the whole thing, but he can give us a little teaser. Yes, I you can. have to go out and buy the 20th anniversary edition, or, or you can just stand in your local bookstore and read it. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not trying to fleece your audience, uh, you know. Um, it was more of just like I just want to. I just wanted to keep doing it live. If you recorded it last night, you can use that version. I didn't. You did not. Okay. Because I was in the moment. You were in the moment. Uh, you probably didn't even know it was coming. I didn't. Uh, yes. So so anyway. So here's here's the background. I published Perks uh, February second, nineteen ninety nine. That's when it came out. That was the official publication date. Anyway. Um, and it's been 20 years. And as I said in your, in your, uh, regular podcast, uh, we have 5 million copies out there in the world, which is pretty extraordinary. And I'm very grateful. And so when the 20th anniversary rolled around and my publisher said, Hey, do you want to do anything? I said, you know, yes, I, there is something that I want to do. Um, as anyone that knows, uh, perks knows the book is written in epistolary style. It's basically a series of letters that Charlie is writing to an unnamed dear friend. And, and I thought how great it would be to write another letter, but from 20 years later, the perspective of being an adult looking back on these times. And, uh, and I think about, you know, the next generation of young people. I've received so many letters over the years. It would, it would bring tears to your eyes to read some of these about the hope that they have, that they have gained from this book. In some cases, choosing life over death. Uh, uh, you know, in terms of their own suicidal thoughts, they chose life and they've lived, ended up now, some of them are in their mid thirties and they have kids and they've been able to overcome that dark time. So I thought how great it would be for the next group of, of young people to have this afterward. So when they read the book and the, the, there's no spoiler in the original final line, which is, and I will believe the same about you, love always Charlie. I just love the idea that, that they get to turn the page and have an afterward and then, and then here, I can read the first part of it. How All right. That's Here's fair. the first part of it. Okay. It goes um, September 18th, which is my wedding anniversary. Thank you, Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Liz. <laughs> September 18th, 2012. Dear friend, I haven't sent a letter to you for 20 years. I don't even know if this is still the right place to send it, but I'm going to send it anyway and hope that you find it. It would mean the world to me if you found it, because I want to say thank you. Years ago, there was a very sad kid who needed a whole lot of help and writing to you is the beginning of that help. Whatever, whatever I've learned as an adult, I've never forgotten what it was like to be that kid, what it was like to feel like no one could understand these feelings because I couldn't understand them myself. I have never forgotten feeling sad or crazy or depressed or outside of my own self and own body. And on the great days, I've never forgotten what it was like to go on those drives with those friends or oh, sorry, go on those drives with those songs with those beautiful people whom I still call friends. That kid wrote some letters and sent them out into the world to a stranger he'd heard about. 
and then something amazing happened. You wrote back. I know I didn't enclose my real name or address, but somehow my letters were shared. People passed them around the way Patrick's poem was. Xerox and traded, whispered like a secret password. However it happened, it happened. You read my letters and then some of you wrote back. You sent letters to random addresses. Some of them were forwarded along to me. Maybe some of them were. I don't know if I got all of them, but I got enough of your letters to realize something extraordinary. And if you could see the boxes and boxes of letters that I've received for the last 20 years, you would know what I know once and for all, forever and always. You are not alone. Understand, friend, there are millions of us, millions of people who struggle with and overcome all sorts of problems. You would be shocked to know how many people understand exactly what you are going through. That doesn't mean what you're going through is somehow less, meaningful, special, unique. On the contrary, it means that what you're going through is more, is important, deserves to be seen, spoken of, and understood. It is 20 years now. 20 years of receiving your letters, and I can't tell you how many times they've saved me that day or made me cry or laugh or believe or hope that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I can't tell you what it's like to read a letter from the young woman who's going to kill herself, read my letters and decided not to. And she's now in her 30s. She's happily married. She has children. The dark time is over for her, just like it will pass for you. That and is then, so beautiful. Thank you. And there's one more page, and, and it would mean a lot to me because... I really... All right, I'll give it to you. I love no, it. no, no, no. You don't know. I'll finish it. Oh, Steve. And then you can decide what all you right. want to do with it. All right. So... As long as your lawyers aren't coming after me. No one, there's no <laughs> lawyers. There's no lawyers. So if these words make sense, if you have known these stories yourself, if you've experienced or witnessed abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, if you have struggled with mental illness uh, of any kind or, or love someone who does... If you are surrounded by those who call what you are different instead of beautiful, if your mind or body has cried out for peace and acknowledgement and understanding, just know you are part of an infinite family. The people who have been through terrible things and survived them. If you are reading these words, you won today. You are here. You are alive. You have options. You can wait out a bad situation, move on, fight back. Get out, break up, call, ask her or him out. Write that book, write that song, listen to the music, take the drive, take the chance and live. Whatever strategy you choose, you win. There are so many more of us than there will ever be of them. And we can find each other and we can help each other and we can talk to each other and we can build great lives. Happiness is not this thing for other people. It is for you. It is for me. It is for all of us. We all get an ending. Whether or not it's happy is up to us. That is my long way of saying thank you, dear friend. 20 years ago, a young man wrote some letters. You wrote him back, and a grown man was inspired to write again. So just in case this ends up being my last just in case this ends up being my last letter, I want to answer one question, the question I have been asked the most since your letters found their way to me. Whatever happened to Charlie? And I can tell you what happened to Charlie in three words. He made it, and so will you. Love always, Charlie. It is so beautiful. Um, and I I suspect, Steve, that you are actually speaking to those readers who've then written back to you saying that your book changed them. Um, and, and, you know, the young woman who is now a mom and things mm. like that. And that has to be very, very gratifying to 20 years later. Well, it, it is gratifying, but, but it's gratifying. You know, in the way that I think that you're that you're saying, and thank you for saying it, but it's gratifying in a different way. Because imagine this: most people, when I say you are not alone, whenever somebody walks up to me, this has happened for twenty years now, and they say, "I loved Perks," 
And it's like, you really understand how I feel. Mm-hmm. I said, well, then that means that you understand how I feel. And just because I think people put a hierarchy on it, like somehow the writer is above the reader. I'm like, the writer is not above the reader. We are equal. We're all equal. And you can look at, it's really the feeling. And I'm so glad they understand what the hell I mean. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that I understand what they mean. And that is unity. That your question earlier about unity. Right. That's unity. We all know these feelings. We may have a little bit more shades of this or a little bit more shades of that. But fundamentally, we we can all relate to the same fundamental truth about life, whether it's about love of family, uh, in some cases, love of faith, in some cases, you know, your tribe, in some cases, just, you know, the anxiety that we have about starting a new business, the anxiety we have about going for that job, etc. There's so many amazing um, things that, that bind us together. And I love to focus on those things. And I want to share one other story, if I may. Sure. Um, and it's a Tony Robbins thing. And, uh, and it helped me a lot. And so if you have any people in your audience, like, and I don't take credit, please find his original because he does it way better than I could <laughs> ever parrot it. But this has changed my life. This one piece of it, this one story, and I want to share it with you. And then you can seek out maybe some of his other stuff or as you had mentioned, the secret Sam or whatever. So anyway, this was it. Um, I love this. Um, so Carly Simon, the, t- mm-hmm. the singer, um, this, this is many, many years ago. I guess she had notoriously bad stage fright. Notorious. And they hired Tony Robbins to maybe coach her, help her kind of overcome her stage fright. And so he's preparing. And in, in order to prepare, he went to probably the greatest, natural, most comfortable performer ever, Bruce Springsteen. Went to a show, <laughs> went backstage and said, hey, Bruce, great show. And basically like, listen, uh, they hired me to help Carly Simon. Um, this is all paraphrased, by the way. Please go to, I think, it's Unleash the Power Within. Anyway, here's the story. Here's the story. So um, he said, they hired me to help Carly Simon. And, you know, you're you're so natural up there. You're so comfortable up there. Walk me through it. Right before you go on stage, what do you feel? He said, oh, it's amazing. My hands sweat. My arms go numb. My heart pounds. Sound of the crowd so loud. It's like I'm not even there. It's amazing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, got it. Goes to Carly Simon, however many weeks later, and says, okay, Carly, now... Right before you go on stage, what do you experience? You, oh, it's terrible. My hands sweat. My arms go numb. My heart's pounding. The sound of the crowd's so loud. It's like I'm not even there. It's terrible. And he said, physiologically speaking, that the difference between fear and excitement is razor thin. Yes. And so often what we think is afraid, let's say you're waiting for that job interview or you're waiting to sign the papers to get that loan to start that business, whatever it is, ask yourself in that moment, are you really afraid or are you just excited and you don't think that you're allowed to be that, right? For whatever reason, whatever voice is inside your head or whatever you were taught years ago that said, don't, don't dream it. So the truth is, um, uh, you can do it. And so I love that. And ever since that, I've basically booked every job I've ever gone for. Um, because I just say, am I really excited right now? Oh my God, I'm a kid from Pittsburgh. I didn't know anybody in show business when I started out and I had this dream and I went out there and oh my God, I'm sitting in a waiting room at Universal Studios and I'm about to go and talk about Dear Evan Hansen. And I remember I'm excited. I'm passionate about this. I'm not afraid of this at all. Now, sometimes I'm afraid. It's not like I'm, I'm, I'm perfect with this. But uh, anyway, I share that story to your listeners and, uh, you know, and anyway, I, I just hope it helps somebody. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do want to let the listeners who don't know you personally, um, although many of our high school Panther friends will certainly be listening to this. Um, Steve is actually still the same kid from Pittsburgh. And it's lovely to know that you still have the same 
kind giving spirit that you had back when we were 10 years old at the balloon derby, which you mentioned last night. Uh, uh, yes, balloon derby. <laughs> balloon it's derby. in my new one, Imaginary Friend. It's a, it's a very, I love that balloon derby scene. Yeah. And uh, I did you, not. And you're not even at the part of the book where it pays off. Just wait. All right. Well, I did not dig out the picture of us from the newspaper um, at the balloon derby with uh, Ash, Pai and Mike Holtz. Yeah, I have yeah. that somewhere too. But um, uh, yeah. And so... At this moment, because Steve is an old friend and he's always super, super tolerant of me when I go crazy fangirl. Um, all right. So you've worked with like some really freaking amazing people. Um, I love Dylan McDermott. I've had like super crush on him. Uh, I have a huge girl crush on Emma Watson, um, Julia Roberts. Like talk about that. Like, do you ever go, holy shit, like what is happening to me? Um, I know at one point you, when you were directing Wonder, I texted you about something and you said, oh, I'm up in Vancouver with Julia. And I said, you son of a bitch, you just named up Julia Roberts to me. And you're like, yeah, I knew you'd love it. <laughs> so, but talk about that. And, and, well, and how do you like talk, frankly, how do you tolerate people like me who fangirl? I mean, I know you do because of years there's, of history, there's, no but... it, it's, there's no, there's nothing to tolerate. The truth is. Once you get to know when, you know, I've met a lot of famous people over the years because of just it's it's they're in my line of work. Right. Just mm-hmm. like and what you find is more and more is um, is the the certainly the ones you mentioned, Julie Roberts and Emma Watson, um, uh, you know, and, and Dylan. Um, I know a little a little less because I worked with him uh, uh, for a shorter amount of time. But all these amazing people is, you know, one thing about celebrities is uh, celebrity has nothing to do with happiness mm-hmm. and the happy like I, I've met really really famous people that are very unhappy people because they don't have maybe the family life or they don't have the 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 people that are surrounding them that are telling them the truth about themselves and, and it's like and they kind of forget they lose their mooring a little bit it's mm-hmm. sad I've seen other famous people that are the most normal like Julia you mentioned um, Julia is first and foremost she's a, a wife and a mom you know, she loves her husband, Danny. She loves her kids. That's, we bonded over that. When when we were doing Wonder together, it was really cool because, you know, so often, because she's Julie Roberts and she's so glamorous, they hire her to like, you know, be the spy or be the this or be the that. Here she got to play a mom. She was great, you know, and she loved it because she got to, it's like a little bit of autobiography about how she really feels day in, day out. So that's, after a while, maybe after the first lunch, you go, oh, my God, I'm talking to Julia Roberts. And after that, sometimes on set, don't get me wrong, I'll be like, action, and I'll do a good cut, and I'll go over, hey, listen, maybe we could try this a little bit differently over here. And then I go back to the monitor and go, oh, my God, I just gave a direction to Julia Roberts. Now, that is <laughs> that is absolutely true, and it happens. But, but over time, it happens less and less because you realize that just like everybody else, they are just like everybody else, fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And And... No matter what, and you would ask a question to start this about, you know, all fame is relative. All right. celebrity is relative. And there are plenty of people that don't know who any of them, any of them are. And um, probably more than actually know who they are. Maybe not Julia Roberts and Emma Watson. Just because <laughs> they, they have been in 5,000 movies and everything else. But for the most part, yeah. And really it's about the work. It's not about the, the adoration of the work. And the more that you do it, um, uh, you know, the happier that you are. So that's what it is. It's not, it's not, it, it, trust me when I tell you, it is not nearly as fancy and glamorous as you think it is making movies and things like that. It's 16 hour days sometimes, mm-hmm. 14 hour days. 
um, television, especially all your television stars, you think it's glamorous living. They are, they, they are married to that set if they're yeah. in the drama. And so it's really just, we do it cause we love it. And if you get, if you get adoration or you get, um, you know, some money for it or whatever, that's, that's the icing on the cake. I know a lot of actors and a lot of writers that I think are fantastically talented people that don't make any money doing it, but they do it all the time because they love it. And that is always, uh, that, that's always the thing that brings us back. It's always the love of the thing. That's great. But who, all right, who have you fanboyed over? Like, who was the, can, is there like oh, yeah. one person that you were like, oh my God, I can't believe I think there would be person. three people. Okay. One I have actually shaken hands with. One I've seen up close at a restaurant, but I didn't have the guts to go over. Even, <laughs> even though I heard that he really liked the person being a wallflower and gave Logan Lurgan a compliment. And one I have never met. And I would probably lose my mind. Okay. The one I shook hands with was Steven Spielberg. <gasps> and I did it twice. Once at his mom's restaurant. He just happened to be there. Um, and then one time at the Governor's Awards of, at the, for the Oscars. Um, uh, so he was there and we talked because he had seen the person being a wallflower twice. And he was very complimentary about the tunnel scenes, especially. He's like, I really... You know, I loved your movie and, uh, and you really know how to tell a story. So that was an amazing moment. That had to be huge. Amazing. So the next person was Paul McCartney, <gasps> who was in, uh, El Piccolino restaurant. I was there and I saw him in the corner and I knew because he went up to Logan Lerman at a screening of Perks in Long Island, uh, in the Hamptons or whatever, where he went, you know, lovely film. He was very, very nice to Logan, uh -huh. but he was, he was really passionately having a conversation with two other guys there. Right. So I was like, I don't want to be the guy that interrupts his dinner to just say, Hey, thank you for the lovely things that you said about my movie. So that would be an amazing moment. In the I see. I'd go up and be like cousin Paul, but he's not my cousin Paul. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead, Steve. Yes, I, rem I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Um, and then, uh, and Stephen King. Oh uh, yeah, Stephen well, King. Because because I just think you know, being a child of the eighties um, and seventies and eighties, you know, wanting to write novels and writing to wanting to make movies, I was I was a it was like the two Stevens, Spielberg and King. Yeah, they are the ones I studied above all others, and so I met one. Maybe someday I'll get to meet the other. I hope so. Um, I I may or may not have actually like attached a couple tweets of your stuff to Stephen King before, because not that he's going to pay any attention to me, but I follow him on Twitter because he's really freaking funny and yeah, I follow him too. And angry and, and I love everything about that. And, uh, you know, I just, I, it would actually make me really happy if you got to meet him too. I would Cause love, then I'd be like, I know the guy who knows Stephen King. I would love to. I would love to meet him. You know, I do that. Yes. Well, you know, his son Joe Hill, who's a hell of a writer. Yes. Fantastic. I love the Fireman. That book is brilliant. Anyway, Joe Hill, uh, he blurred my book. He gave me a quote, and so, so yeah. that meant a lot to me. You know, and he's a terrific writer, Joe. So, yeah. Well, congratulations on all your successes. Thank you, Thank you for um, our little peek into Perks and. Yes. Um, just some great advice, I think, for people who want to follow their passion and maybe aren't brave enough to do it. So yeah, thank you so much, thank dear you. friend. This is great. Yes. All right. All right. Thanks. Thank you for joining me, Sam Ditka, at Mint for Moxie, the podcast. Stephen Jabosky's books can be found on Amazon and are linked on Moxie Mama or at your favorite local retailers. Mint for Moxie is the companion podcast to Moxie Mama by Sam Ditka. More information can be found at www.moxiemama.tv. That's www.moxiemama.tv. 
In my next episode, you will hear one of the most compelling, not just survival, but thrival stories of our time. Meant for Moxie is produced by Timothy Ditka. Music, The Energy, courtesy of Abhisht Music and can be found on iTunes.